Hello and welcome to the RTE Soccer Podcast. My name is Anthony Pine and I am joined today by Paul Curry and Conan Byrne. We'll be reflecting on a weekend of FAI Cup action, looking ahead to the upcoming league fixtures, chatting about a few young Irish players playing their trade overseas and we'll try and break down Spain's World Cup final victory over England as well. But first, uh, Paul, let's talk about a pretty brutal few days for Derry City uh, beaten on penalties in the Europa Conference League third qualifying round uh, by Tobol in Tala on Thursday night and then beaten on penalties again by St. Patrick's Athletic in the FAI Cup second round yesterday I mean let, let's just start with the European tie I think first of all Paul I, were they unlucky is it just tiny margins at that kind of level or could they have done anything a little bit differently yeah I think I thought they played really well Anthony to be honest with you I think those ties are not the easiest when you're behind heading into the second leg and there's an element of having to chase the tie. And I thought they managed the 120 minutes that it was really well. I thought they managed the ball well. I thought they dealt with the conditions and and the pressure of of the two-legged tie very well. Um, really good in defence, control, good possessions and good spells with the ball and create a number of chances. And um, The goal in itself, the, the bit of play between Patching and Duffy was absolutely what you'd expect from the two of them. And you, you felt once they got level that they might go on and win it. But I think your your point there around fine margins is probably what it came down to. I think when you're playing at that level, you have to take the chances that are presented in front of you. And there was two really good chances. I'm not saying that they were absolute tap-ins and ones that they should have scored, but there was two fantastic opportunities to win the game. McMullen's first and then King Campbell's at the end. And I think when you're talking about our side's progressing in Europe. You have to be clinical in both boxes. Um, defensively, they were very good, but they just didn't take the chances that presented themselves on the night. And then you, you find yourself in penalty shootouts and it becomes a bit of a lottery. I would say with, with Brian Maher, shot stopping probably isn't the number one attribute. When you think of Brian Maher, we think about his distribution, how good he is with his feet and organizing his back four. And he just wasn't able to guess correctly and get his hands to any one of them. So I, I really felt for them, Anthony. I thought they played really well and did enough to go through over the two legs. But it really is about those fine margins. And maybe it is a case that they are lacking that out-and-out goal scorer. But you could say that for a number of our sides as well. So um, it just it wasn't to be on the night. And I fell for Rory Higgins because I thought they did more than enough to go through on over the two legs. Yeah, Conan, I mean, it, in games like that where the stakes are so high and, you know, the, the money that's on offer, everyone's aware of that, the players, no doubt, but but that chance at the end, the cabinet chance, like, it looked like a player with the weight of the world. Like, he snatches at it in a way that he probably ordinarily wouldn't do. It's pressure, isn't it? You know, you can see yeah. the flash before his eyes. You see, I'd probably disagree with Paul there because I, I, in the sense that I actually thought it was a sitter. I thought it was an exquisite first touch from him to set himself up for the shot. And like you said, he just snatched at it. And eight yards out, the goal at his mercy, obviously, you're just a goalkeeper to beat. You do fancy him because it popped up really nicely for him. But he just, as I said it before, he just snatched at it. And um, yeah, I don't know if that played on, on the players' minds then going into extra time. They, were, they, they weren't as dominant over the course of 90 minutes as they were in extra time. Um, the substitution of Adam O'Reilly, I think, surprised me too in the sense that he just his energy and his legs. I don't think I don't know if there's anybody fitter in the league. Um, so that surprised me in the sense that how well he was playing up to that up to the point of of his substitution, um, and then into the penalties as well. Like you, you had the 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 bit with uh, King Cavanagh and Ben Doherty as well. So King Cavanagh obviously walked forward at the fifth penalty, thinking he was meant to take it, 
And then that focus that Ben Doherty had, that um, that that he was meant to take the fifth penalty, um, that's gone. That's gone from his mind now because he was like, "Am I to take it or is he taking it?" So that the focus is completely gone from him, um, and it was just. I I think there was just as Paul said, it's just the fine margins. And then you have the likes of Dumigan, you have Boyce, you have McJanet, that all can strike a ball really, really well, like Brian Maher. And you'd want your players to take it. That, that's just my opinion. You'd want want your outfield players to take a penalty before before your goalkeeper. Um, but look, he had the the cojones to, to to step up himself. But again, focus. He should be focusing on penalty saving, not penalty taking. That's that, that's just my little take on. To compound that, uh, another penalty shootout defeat uh, on Sunday, Paul. Um, I mean, I, I think Derry, all things considered, did well yesterday. Uh, for a lot of that game, you know, I think there will be fatigue in the legs and, you know, trying to pick yourself up the, the nature of that defeat on Thursday. But wrong side of it again. I mean, like, looking forward, if there is a potential silver lining here, you'd say maybe it clears the way now for them to really have a go at the league. But it's difficult to pick yourself up surely after two defeats in three days like that. I thought it was going to be a difficult game for them to head into, given what had happened on Thursday night and mentally how much that would have taken out of them and physically as well. And I, again, I thought they played really well. Um, you know, it, it could have been a fixture whereby you might have seen the effects of Thursday lasting, but there was the same sort of energy and enthusiasm that you associate with Derry this season. And, and they brought that to the table. And again, it was, it was, it was a well-balanced game, but it was fine margins again. Like if Patching's free kick goes in, you're probably talking about Derry getting into the next round and then bouncing back from Thursday night. But it, it seemed like, whether it be Thursday night and, and Sunday compounded, it just wasn't going to go their way. I think if they if they bring that same sort of performance that they've shown in those two fixtures, I think they'll be okay between now and the end of the season to mount a bit of a, a shot at Shamrock Rovers. But it just wasn't to be again yesterday. Um, penalties again, you, you probably think as you, as you get down to the latter stages, and you need a player to step up and score one for you. I'm sure many Derry fans would have picked Michael Duffy out and said that's the man who would want to hit the penalty. And he just dragged it. And then you felt once it became level again, the momentum had swung in Pats' favour. And fair play to young Mace Amelia stepping up at 15 years of age and, and slotting it away as if you've been playing in the league for the last 15. And then Mark Conley again drags another penalty. And it just feels like what has so much excitement and, and prospect from Thursday night is now just the league for Derry. Um, so that's going to take a bit of getting or picking up and Rory Higgins has his hands full there. But they certainly have the players and they've shown in, in both performances that they're more than capable of, of mounting a challenge between now and the end of the season. But that will be a big blow, particularly, Anthony, given the fact that they, they won the Cup last year and the Cup is something that you associate big time with Derry City. So that will hurt. I'm sure it will hurt a lot of the players in the squad. But the games are coming around thick and fast and we're into that kind of home straight of the league. So they're going to have to kind of round themselves up and get ready for Friday. And, and that cup now looks wide open. But just before we take a look at some of the other results, um, there was two games called off. Cork City's game didn't against Waterford didn't pass a pitch inspection. Uh, Storm Betty wreaking havoc across the country. But the UCD Galway game, that did go ahead, Conan. Um, abandoned. It should it have been played. I mean, there was an awful lot of water on the pitch, even in the warm-up. Uh, 2 0 up Galway were uh, when it was called off. That will be played again on Monday night, by the way. That game's been refixed, as has the Cork Waterford game. Should it have been started? Um, <clears throat> judging by all accounts, it shouldn't have been, Anthony. Um, I'm talking to players on both sides. Um, 
yeah, it probably shouldn't have been started because they the forecast was that it was going to rain for the rest of the evening, so it wasn't as if it was going to if it was going to dry out. Um, and then add insult to injury in terms of for for Galway, they go two 0 up and then don't don't come out for the second half and they have to go back to Dublin again for for a repeat. And it's not ideal, you know. It's it, this is what we talk about. We want kind of professionalism in all in all aspects of domestic football here in Ireland and. Um, I think the right call would have been um, to call the game off uh, rather than just play for 45 minutes because, as you say, there was a lot of water on the pitch before the game and in the warm-up. Um, even the fans, judging from from some um, posts that were put up on X that you're expe- uh, they weren't expecting the game to go ahead. Um, but perhaps it was just because Galway had come such a long distance that they just wanted to try it to try it and see how it went. Um but they probably should have done what the Cork Waterford did and, and called a couple of pitch inspections beforehand. And I know there was some disappointment that the fact that the, the Cork Waterford game was called off very late in the sense that it was called off at five o'clock rather than the initial pitch inspection at half two, I think. Um, but at the same time, at least the game was called off and it was rescheduled very quickly for Monday. So, yeah, I feel for the Galway players, as I said, being 2 nil up. But, um, yeah, Storm Betty, as you say, wreaking havoc. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to. We don't want to just bash officials here, Paul. But like you know, as, as Colin points out, the team had travelled up. That there was supporters present, so there was obviously a desire to play the game if possible. But I mean, what, what's your take on it? Did they get it wrong? So they just bitten the bullet and called that? I, I think in hindsight, it's easy for for myself to say they got it wrong. But yeah, it seems as if they did. And I mean, I'm sure they looked at the forecast. And if if you picture how the bowl is the, the rain doesn't kind of um it flows down from from the stands and, and it just makes the pitch worse and worse as as rain continues so yeah it seems like a strange one i just know ucd now being ucd will come out and be a completely different side than the one they were on friday night and if if that result was to go in their favor i'd say galway be be absolutely fuming with the officials and how that kind of played out but yeah, it, it seems like a strange decision. The bowl, first and foremost, isn't the best when it comes to drainage. And maybe that's something that UCD need to to look at to rectify. There there has been times, particularly at the start of the season when the rugby's been on it, when the pitch isn't really up to up to standards either. So maybe a bit of work that they need to do on their side. It's probably easy for, for us to criticize the officials now, given the fact that the the way the game played out, but yeah, it's it is probably one that they got wrong. I think what Conan has mentioned with Cork and Warwater for the way that was managed was probably the way the UCD one should have been as well. Mm. Um, so yeah, I feel for Galway. I I would expect they would still get the business done today, but it's uh yeah, it's a difficult one that they've had to manage over the last kind of two three days. Yeah, that that is refixed as we mentioned for Monday. So we'll see. Uh, I can't imagine John Coffey will be. Thrilled if it doesn't go their way, but uh, let's just skip through some of the other results then. Uh, Wexford bet St. Pat CY 1 0. Uh, Finn Harps bet another Leinster Senior League team, Scary's Town 5 0. Balls are too much for Rockmount of the Munster Senior League. Uh, they won that game 6 0. The Docks squeeze past Bray 1 0, and that game's in terrible conditions as well. And Drada United got out of Tralee with a 1 0 win over uh, a really stubborn Kerry. So, I mean, Conan. This sometimes in all these cup competitions they settle into the semi-final stage and it's the usual faces, the big guns. Uh not the case this year. Like this, this looks like we could have an underdog uh victory name of the cup potentially. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's and it's funny because usually you always aim for top four, Anthony, because 
the top one of the top three will win the FEI Cup, which will mean that the fourth place team in the league will win, will will automatically qualify for Europe. But with Shamrock Rovers gone and now Derry gone, um, you're kind of relying on Pats now to win the cup for that fourth fourth place team to or Bows uh, for that fourth place team to uh, to get a chance for Europe. So that's going that's that that'll be a very uh, interesting take. Um, Look, I won the FEI Cup in two thousand and nine as a first division team with with Sporting Fingal, so I know what it all what it's like as an underdog story, and um, it's it's a great adventure. Um, and for some of these teams that may have never played in in that haven't played in an FEI Cup quarter final in a long time, there's that dream of of getting to play at the Aviva Stadium. So you're looking at the likes of um, like Finn Harps, a nice little draw. They had um, two non-league teams so far. They played Kilbarrick in the last round, and they have Scaries in this round. Um, and they're into the quarterfinal stage. So all you have to do is win five games, you know. So um, you have to put. But the other thing, the other side of the coin is you have to, you have to um, beat who you come up against, and they've done that really well. And it's it's just it's. I think in terms of an underdog, I think we're further away from that happening than ever. Um, I do see it being a, a, a Bowes victory, a Pats victory, or a Dundalk victory. I can't see past any of those three teams. Trotta. Perhaps considering that they're uh, they're doing pretty well in the league, um, but come come the end of the season as a part time club, um, fitness may play a part in that. So, um, but you can always dream, and with the teams left in it, even Wexford getting a great great uh, win away yesterday in in St Pat's CY, great crowd there by the way in Irish Town, um, yeah, you can always dream, but at the same time, I do suspect that it'll be one of the three lads, three teams that I mentioned there that to to lift the FA Cup. And on that as well, like I absolutely agree with Conan. I, I struggle to see past a winner outside of Pats, Dundalk or Bowes. But so much of this comes down to the draw. And if if Pats were to draw Dundalk or Bowes or, or vice versa, then it becomes wide open. You start looking at the likes of a, a Drahada or potentially a Galway or Cork or Waterford, maybe getting an easier route. And then when it comes down to, you know, maybe a once-off and a big occasion, anything can happen. But as it stands, it's hard to look past those three teams, but particularly with Shamrock Rovers and Derry out now, the draw is becoming more important for, for maybe some of the first division teams um, to maybe make a path into a semi-final. And you just don't know from there, Anthony, anything could happen. So we'll be interested once you know this round is out of the way and the draw is made, you might be able to start to carve a, a bit of a clearer picture of who's going to be there or thereabout kind of come the semis. And, and that draw takes place on Tuesday, so we will wait on that with great interest. Uh, let's just take a look ahead to this week's Premier Division fixtures um, and, and the talk of a title race. Do we actually have one? I, I guess we'll know a lot more after Friday evening. Uh, Bowles host Derry City. That's an absolutely huge game. But, but let's start with St. Pat's, actually, uh, Paul. They travel to UCD. Um, we mentioned Mason Levy. I kind of mentioned stepping up in the shootout. Um Himself, Sam Curtis and Adam Murphy are three of their really talented young players. Uh, Murphy, you know, has been linked with a move across the water. You know, what what what's he all about? How good is he? Do you expect him to potentially make that move in the next few months or anytime soon? Or, or how do you see his future longer term? Yeah, I worked with Adam when he was at Belvedere for the guts of, of probably five years. <clears throat> and then he moved on to St. Pat's and he's he's done really well. I would have said we'd have been having this conversation probably 12, 18 months earlier, Anthony, if it wasn't for the, the injuries that he's picked up along the way. This is a kid who is, is probably at the top of his age bracket, along with the likes of James McManus and Kevin Zeffi and Sam Curtis. He has huge potential. 
and physically he's he's developed very well he's more than capable of getting around the the park particularly from a sentiment field position he's very powerful when he gets into the final third i think he can add more goals to his games and really he's a player who can who can progress and i would expect that if he doesn't make the move kind of in the next seven to ten days or seven days i would imagine when the transfer window finishes it'll probably be one that he makes in january um, I'm still very close to him, still very close to the family. I know there's interest there. That's been documented in, in the media. Um, and it's probably at a situation now whereby Adam needs to make a decision of whether or not he wants to see out the, the league with St. Pat's and, and mount a bit of a title challenge and particularly go for the FAI Cup as well. Or whether or not he thinks now is is the right time to go. It's a big decision, Anthony, for, for any 18-year-old like to, to pack their bags and go and... And, and and sorry, it's Bristol City. I think are the club that I've been heavily most heavily linked with with Adam. Yeah, Bristol City is is one that has has been documented. There are other clubs as well, and um, mm. the Premier League interested in them. And there's also been one or two other teams in the Championship. I think the the move to Bristol City is probably one that appeals more to a player who's playing in the League of Ireland because I think if you look at the likes of an Andy Lines. The squads are much smaller. You're able to break into the first team sooner. You get an opportunity. If he lands into, say, uh, a middle to low Premier League team, he's probably finding himself in the 23s, not playing competitive football and having such a good taste of it with St. Pat's. I think you want to keep as close to a first team as you possibly can to continue that development. So it's it's a decision that's going to come down to him and his family and his representatives. Um, but I'd say you'll probably get a bit more clarity on that in the next kind of three, four, five days. It's a big decision for any 18-year-old to make, but it's one that if Adam does make, it's a career that you want to track quite closely because he is certainly somebody who has massive potential. I put Sam Curtis in that bracket as well. Um, and this will probably kind of dovetail into our conversation around Pat's title challenge. But if one or two of them are to leave the building, like they've been so fundamental to Pat's recent form since Jonathan Daly has gone in, that could really hamper them. But... For for Pats, for Jar O'Brien, for their underage section, they are doing incredible work to get players into their academy and into their first team. And um, Adam is certainly one, particularly because I'm close to him. But I think a lot of League of Ireland fans will want to see how how that can progress because he has huge potential to to have a really good career in the game. Yeah, that's, an, that's an interesting predicament, though, Anthony. As an 18 year old, you're thinking about going over and playing in England. That's per- I'm sure that that was his dream from from a boy to go over and play for England. But the the championship season has started; it's kicked off already. We're two or three games in. Will he go over there and start regularly, week in, week out at, at Bristol City or whatever team he possibly goes to, or does he see out the remaining few months and and potentially have have a double under his belt, the league and a and an FAI Cup? You know, so there these are the the, the challenges now that that the, that young players face, and I'm sure Adam wouldn't have thought he would have had these challenges. Uh, six, seven months ago, considering where Pats were. So um, it's a very, very difficult decision that you'll have to make. I, I know, Colin, a lot of Pats fans, you, you say title talk and they, they quiver a little bit. And I think it's a little premature, premature, excuse me. Uh, but, you know, is is this possibly on? Because, you know, Bowles played Derry at Daily Mount. Um, they can't both win on Friday. Shamrock Rovers are at home to Dundalk. And, and that game, uh, Pats travelled to UCD, you'd expect. They would win that game, so you know, is is this on? Like, can, can they make a genuine charge? Oh, absolutely. Um, and Jonathan Daly has has said that post game. I was covering the game down in Sligo on on RTE, and he came out after the game and said, "Yeah, look, I'm not going to lie here. 
course, we're four points off. We're, at that stage, they were a point off Shamrock Rovers. So um, Shamrock Rovers had that game in hand that they won. But it's, it's a huge opportunity for Pats um, to, to win the double. They're, they're four points off Shamrock Rovers. Shamrock Rovers have a difficult, are in difficult form at the moment and they have a difficult tie against Dundalk on Friday night as well. Um, and Pats are away to UCD. So it, it, should, it puts the pressure on. And that's what you want. You just want to keep putting that pressure on. Um, they've got fantastic players um, within their squad, experienced players. And I was so um, engrossed in how they performed against Sligo um, because Sligo had the majority possession. It's 65% possession in, in the showgrounds a couple of weeks ago. And Pats were just very, very happy for, for them to have the ball. And once they got it, they just broke at speed. And Jake Mulraney was excellent on one side. Jason McClellan has come into his own in the last couple of weeks. He's done really, really well. We've talked about Adam Murphy, picked up player of the match. Sam Curtis back in his usual position of right back, bombing up and down the line. You had Joe Redmond back in the team as well, whose who's clean sheet record at St. Pat's when he was playing to when he was not playing is incredible. Um, so that yeah. these, these are big, big players for St. Pat's that can that can push them on. Um, the only problem that I'd have would be as well would be an out and out goal scorer. Um, Connor Carty missed a lot of chances in that game. He had a couple of chances yesterday in the FBI Cup game as well against Derry that he should have scored. Um, and then Thomas Tom, Tommy Lonergan has usually comes off the bench for him, and he probably needs to to, to start scoring goals too. So you're relying on on Chris Forrester, who's top scorer now in the in the division. Um, a number of penalties and and uh, set plays from that. But um, look. We've Paul's talked about it already. I think every player and every team in the league is crying out for for a goal scorer at the moment. And um, but if you're asking me if Pats are in a title title charge, absolutely, one hundred percent. But Paul, we we should say the team they're chasing it is Shamrock Rovers. They've been here, they've done it, and and for all that you know, Derry City now have a clear run at it. So do Shamrock Rovers. So would you expect them? Are they still favourites? Like? I think they still have to be favourites purely on the basis of what they've done in, in previous years and how they've manage the tail end of seasons and the experience that they have in their squad with regards to winning trophies. But there are major, not major question marks, but there's question marks around Shamrock Rovers in their form. Um, I, I would have said earlier on the season that I would expect them to win by 10 plus points. And I'm probably kind of, uh, you know, coming back a bit on that statement. I, I still expect them to win the league, but maybe not by by that same distance. Um, there's been a drop off in their performances. I, I don't think we can get away from that. The consistency in their game doesn't seem to be there from what we've seen in previous years. And they haven't won back-to-back games since the, the beginning of June. So that has to be a bit of a worry for Stephen Bradley and his his team and his coaching staff. But I, I still think if you gave them this situation at the beginning of the year, the fact that they're four points clear of St. Pat's in second, I would imagine they'd still be very confident that they get the job done. And I still do expect them to get the job done, but maybe not as comfortably as as they have done in previous years. The next three fixtures will will give you a, a very clear picture of, of where Rovers are going to sit. They've got Dundalk on Friday, then they play Bowes, and then they play Derry. So if they were to get three good results there, it might open up a bit of gap between them and the chase and pack, and maybe it becomes a bit of a canter to the end. But if they don't, and if they drop points on Friday night with Pats playing UCD, that gap could close. Derry get a good result maybe against Bowes it could become a really tight, tight chase. But I still think that there's, there's like he's, Stephen Bradley has so many options in the in the final third at the back. He's got so many players that he can juggle, probably getting key players back fit again, the likes of a Jack Byrne. So they they would have enough, in my eyes, Anthony, to, to get over the line. 
Um, but what I would like to see is just an up in their performance. Um, it hasn't, we haven't seen enough of it this year. I thought this was going to be the year that they kick on again. It hasn't happened. Uh, a win on Friday night would certainly be the right start for them. And I would ex- still expect them to get over the line. But if one of the other teams could put a bit of a run together, they've shown that they they haven't been blessed with consistency this season. Uh, Colin, at the other end of the table, there is also a massive game on Friday. That's Strada United. In fact, Shamrock Rovers bogey team uh, for the last couple of years. They're at home to Cork City. So, look, a lot of football to be played beyond this round of fixtures. But this really looks like whoever, you know, with Drawd in particular, if they can get a win here, that is a huge stride towards getting out of that bottom two. Cork City, you know, it, it's, it doesn't look... Uh, massively harmonious there. They have struggled in the last few weeks. Um, who would you fancy here? You'd have to fancy Drada, um, given recent form. I suppose they've they've got through uh, two FAI Cup ties, Sligo, obviously, and they went down to, to Tralee and beat, and beat Kerry on Friday. Um, and then domestically, five, as I said, five points clear of Cork at the moment and the incentive then to push even further clear and to go above Sligo. Um, um, if if it's just for twenty four hours, as they host shells on Saturday evening, um, I just think with Cork, like they're they're they're, they're really struggling. One point in in from a possible twelve in their last four games, um, in the league isn't great. Um, obviously the 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 recruitment hasn't been good enough at the start of the season. Um, they've brought in two new players, um, over the last number of number of days as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they get on. Um, they've brought in Jay's KB as well. He's come back um, from Scotland, who did really, really well at uh, at Shelburne when when they in the first division then when they won the league. And um, but he's still only twenty three, so he, but he he might score goals. But that's the word that 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 I'm using here. Might I said you need an a, a, they need players that can that can score goals and in order for them to get out of trouble. And five points is a big deficit to have, and to go up to a tight pitch in Weavers Park and Drada. Um, will be a difficult ask, and the incentive, but the incentive will be there for them as well. If they win, it brings them back down to two points, and then even closer to Sligo and drag Sligo into it. So, I don't I, the relegation playoff places itself were always seem to be mentioned in Drada and Cork, but Sligo themselves are only a point clear of Drada, uh, of Drada on tw- on uh, on thirty points. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's building up to be a fantastic end of season run in from from a league title perspective, but also from a relegation perspective also. I was just going to say, I'm not sure what, what you guys think, but that situation with Liam Buckley and Colin Healy is an absolute mess. When, when Colin left and Liam was, you know, in a, a director of football position and, and now manager, and Liam is more than capable, I'm not saying he isn't, but I think clarity is needed in that club of what direction they're going to take it forward. I, I don't think that's how performance is a result at all at all. And there was a, a bit of a bounce when, when Liam got the job, but there's been so much uncertainty since then. And it's no coincidence in my eyes that the sort of uncertainty is, is creeping into the performance and the results now that the club are turning out. And for me, that's one that they didn't either give to book until the end of the season or just tidy it up and, and get somebody else in charge to see out the rest of the year. But I don't think that's helping performances. But even with that, Kevin, they're going up against the manager now that they yeah. wanted to bring in. So, um, yeah. but does that not sort of sum up like the, the pursuit of Kevin Doherty was never, I mean, that, that didn't look like a realistic, he didn't look attainable for Cork City, certainly not halfway through the season. It, it seemed like a strange decision to try and actually get him. I was just going to say, it, it would be a lot for Kevin to, to up stakes and, and commit to Cork 
um, halfway through the season when when they're certainly in a massive dogfight down there. It's not like they were putting a a team who are kind of fighting for European positions uh, in front of his eyes and asking him to make a decision. I I did, didn't think that was one that he was ever going to take. I think Kevin, if he keeps doing his job well at Drada, might fancy a, a job maybe a little closer to home and maybe one that is with a side that's maybe going to be competing in kind of the middle to upper echelons of the League of Ireland. But yeah, it, it seemed like a strange one from my eyes. Would you agree with that, Yeah, similarly, it's... It, like he's a postman at the moment, so yeah. obviously that's that 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 plays a part. Uh, Cork is a massive club. Don't, let's not forget about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they're not in a position. Like if if it doesn't go well for them, if they fought, and you have to look at the teams that p- perhaps are coming up. So you could be Waterford playing Cork in a in a possible relegation playoff at the moment. It'll be interesting to see how they get on in the in, in the in the cup game, um, because it could be a, a dress rehearsal for that relegation playoff and, um. If Kevin took that job and then ultimately found themselves back in the first division, it wouldn't have been a it wouldn't have been a great appointment. Um, but having said that, with you need to back yourself as a manager in these situations, and they don't come much bigger than Cork. But at the same time, he's very loyal, Kev, and um, I don't think that he would have left Drogheda for a, a rival relegation side um, so close to the end of the season. So. Yeah, I think he did. I think he did the right decision. And, and of course, we always have to consider managers in this league. Like he, as you say, he is a postman. He has a job. He's family. He's roots here. Like it's such a giant. And that's really what I was referencing in terms of how attainable he was. Cork, of course, a giant club. But you know, all of that has to be taken into account. And I, I would actually say potentially, but our draw maybe in a false position. I mean, they, they, there's been very. I can't think of a game where you'd say they were played off the park by anybody at any stage this season. Every single game seems to be a dogfight. The, the, the main criticism you could level at them, again, is uh, natural goal scoring. They lost Freddie Draper as well. But they've actually been quietly had an excellent season. Yeah, and Freddie Draper obviously scored up for, uh, on Saturday uh, in the first yes. minute for, for Walsall. Walsall, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, it, like you could say the Derry game, the last game they were beaten 3-0, but it was 1-0 up until the 87th, 88th minute um, at, at Daly Mount Park. They had, a, uh, they had a player sent off and they were doing really, really well up until that, like even after that, after the um, the man sending off and they ultimately lost 4-2. Um, after the FAI Cup win against uh, Sligo Rovers, they brought them back in the league seven days later. Sligo went 2-0 up and they fought back to, to two all. They're Shamrock Rovers bogey team. They have players in that, in that side that are, uh, that are hungry. And they might have been rejected at other clubs. Dale Rooney, for example, uh, Anthony, um, rejected by Damien Duff. And uh, Kevin worked with, with Dale when he was with Shelburne, brought him in, and he's been absolutely sensational um, over the last two years, especially this year, in terms of his assists and um, and what he does to that side. Um, Gary Deegan as well, doing really, really well. Didn't didn't do very well at Shelburne, but came in to draw it. And probably the one that is, that is spoken about a little bit, but probably should be spoken about a little bit more. It's Darren Markey. Um, he's been absolutely brilliant in in that midfield role. He plays in the eight and um, just so creative. He he makes them tick. Um, he does need to score more goals. I remember when he was with Pats with myself. It was the the thing that I said that you know if he scored goals, he probably would have got across to England. Um, but at the same time, he's a, a wonderful, wonderful player. Um, a player that you'd pay to watch in the league, and there's not many of them. And and Dara would be one of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, Paul. Let, let me ask you about a couple of uh, players. Irish players have been on the move in the last week. Um, 
I think the most eye catch, well, there was a couple, but one of the most eye catching was Jacob Ryan's move to Leon. Uh, speaking of Cork men, um, he had been at Crystal Palace and had a couple of loan moves uh, at, at Swindon and he was in Belgium with RWE Molenbeek. Um, I mean, a, a lot of people look at that and go, how, how has that happened? Um, but how, how does it happen? And, and what do you think of that move? I mean, that, that looks like an excellent opportunity for him, doesn't it? I think first and foremost, he's done very well over the last 12 months to you know go to Belgium wouldn't have been an easy move but he's obviously done extremely well in that division to to build up a bit of interest I know Leon wasn't the only club I think Troy's who were part of the Man City football group were also interested in taking him in but how does that move come about well the the US owner Crystal Palace who's John Texter also has a stake in Leon so this is obviously one whereby I don't know if Leon have identified um, a need for a centre-half or if it's a case that they just want to keep Jake within the their kind of football entity and, and keep him close to heart, but also give him an opportunity somewhere else. Um, it's a really interesting move. I, I think it's it's a very big move. I wouldn't expect that he's going to go into Leon and start playing straight away. Potentially another loan move somewhere into Europe to maybe build up a couple of more games to then get yourself into potentially Leon first team. But it's a, it's a huge huge deal like they were talking seven figures and i'm sure his contract is is well rewarded off the back of that so it's it's certainly not the kind of stereotypical route that we see our players go down whether it be we're probably more accustomed to players going to the championship and maybe going dropping down the leagues and gaining experience so this would be one fetzi ebiselli is another one where we've got players now who are going into different leagues in europe and tracking their progress will will be interesting but he's won um, a couple of players who play in the league said it to me a couple of years ago to look out for just his ability to kind of play out from the back. He's got a great build for a centre-half, very aggressive with the ball in the air and the ball on the ground as well. Um, so one that will be very interesting to track how he gets on with Leon. Of course, it's a, a huge culture change for him to to go down to the south of France. But if, if he could develop his game a little more, um, there's no reason why he can't kind of continue on that upper trajectory and and seeing him an international team next will probably be the next sort of step in his path that he'd like to kind of achieve. Uh, I spoke, Conan, to uh, a player called Ryan Nolan in 2018. He was born in Clare and his family moved to Spain when he was quite young and he ended up in Inter Milan uh, playing in the underage system there. And it was an unusual story at the time, but it's not unusual now. I mean, this, Paul referenced Kevin Zeffi in Inter Milan, Festi Ebisele, uh, in Italy also. And another interesting move this week, Cottle Herfernan has gone to Newcastle United via AC Milan. And uh, by all accounts, there was a lot of interest in Italy to keep Cottle in, in there, in, in Serie A. Uh, he's gone to Newcastle. Um, what did you make of that move? And, and what do you make of Cottle overall? What's his prospect? Another centre-half? Yeah, and just with Jake as well, uh, we've talked about the transfer of skills between different sports and how important that is in terms of your development. And with Jake, he was a talented hurler and a talented boxer. He won national titles in both. And then with, with Cottle as well, with having a, a mother and father that are so steeped in athletics, um, you, you just see the kind of the narrative behind how important, as I said, how important it is to, to play different sports as a child. Um, rather than sticking just just to one. And I'm sure Paul would would agree. I'm sure he played a number of sports himself. Um, like I played tennis um, at, a, at a very high level as a child. And um, in terms of those five, five yard sprints, I wasn't, I wasn't the quickest, but over five yards, I was quick. And I'd always put that down to tennis being, having to 
get into the net and come back and move from side to side. So um, that would have been a, a big, big point. But with Jake and, and Cahill, you can see that they're talented sportsmen, first and foremost, and judging from their from their short history. But with the move itself, I, I was fascinated to see Rob actually uh, posting on, on X again of uh, uh, the family in, in the airport with the Newcastle sign in the background on, on a Ryanair flight. So uh, we all knew before and, uh, where he was off to. Um, and it's, it's just so heartwarming to see the, the whole family there to support him from um, Milan back to Newcastle. Um, number five jersey as well that he was sleeping with, was <laughs> sleeping on, on, on his jersey. So look, it's, it's great. It's great for, for Carl. As I said, they, they, there was interest in from um, Serie A clubs in Verona. I think we're very interested in him. Um, but it's it's it just goes to show that the talent that he has that the, how, how much people want him um tall strong powerful center half um that like every center half these days they need to be able to play out from the back and and Carl can do that in abundance and I think like Jake his his, his aim now will be to try and break into that Newcastle first team which would be very extremely difficult if that doesn't work out I'm sure there'll be a lone move to the championship um to try and get game time under his belt because at the end of the day he hasn't got much senior appearances. There's Alex Murphy from Galway that is that is there in, in the dressing room as well. So that will hopefully help him settle in. Um, so with with Cahill, I think it'll be more a watch this space um, over the next six, 12 months. But I would like to see him initially get a loan move to come back and then try and fight for first team football. Just on that one, Anthony, right? I, I was very close to this age group. And within that age group, you have Cahill Leffernan, you have Kevin Zeffi, Sam Curtis, James McManus, Adam Murphy, um, you know, a lot of talent within one age group. And I'm not a fan of 15-year-olds making the move to Italy. It just, for me, it's it's too big a jump to one, leave home at that age, but to throw somebody into a, into another culture where they don't speak the, the language. I, I think for me, that's that's too big a move. I think when you're talking about James Abanqua and Fessi Abaselli going, they're developed, they've played first-team games and they're probably stepping into a first-team. And that is a move that I think sits a little more comfortably with me. I don't think the route for our 15, 16-year-olds should be to, to mainland Europe. Um, I think the likes of an Adam Murphy and a Sam Curtis are in a better position now than Kevin Zeffi and Carl Evernon having played 20, 30, 40 games in the League of Ireland. And I would also hang my hat on saying that the value of their contracts will also be worth more because they're seen as first-team players wherever it is they go. So um, that's that's not taking a shot at, at Cahill and the move that he's gone, or, nor Kevin Zeffi. But I think if if we're looking to develop our own talent here, we need to make sure we have the right coaches and infrastructure in place. But I think you give the player a much better opportunity of being successful in the game. Um, Cahill moving to Newcastle seems like a much better move in my eyes. I think Conan has mentioned there. Alex Murphy is a great example of, of the pathway that he has created within that club. I think that's one that Kyle will probably be a little more comfortable with. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm still not, I still don't think that's the right move for our players. I think as they get to 17, 18, 19, they're a little more mature and they're probably seeing more as first team players and played in of our league. I think then you can start looking there. But for 15 and 16, in my eyes and in my opinion anyway, that is too early to be sending kids to the likes of in Italy, Spain or, or, or beyond. Let me just ask you then very quickly, Paul, on a couple other Irish goal scorers, and we'll just to, to pick up on that team. Adamu Umaku uh, scored his first senior goal for Millwall at the weekend. They were beaten 3 1 by Norwich, but he, he came on and got a consolation goal because he, he moved across from Shamrock Rovers last 
winter. So, you know, a big season for Adamu. Is he the type of player who went at the right time, at the right age, and potentially can now kick on? Well, I think so. I mean, the beauty of it is for Idamo and, and for Adam Murphy as well is that they were both privately educated. Adam went to the Institute of Education and Idamo went out to Conan. You might need to remind me of the college that Shamrock Rovers used out near Dundrum. But anyway, they've 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 gotten their education off the back of this. Idamo, while he was doing that, was playing in the League of Ireland. He played in European football. He scored a goal and then got his move to Millwall. And he's in a fantastic position now. I mean, when he came on against Norwich the other day, he impacted the game. He brought that kind of energy and dynamism that he has within his, his game. And he took his goal so, so well. And I just think if, if you're looking at the player and you're looking at the person, I think you give them time to develop uh, where they're most comfortable. For me, that would be in the League of Ireland to build up those games like a James McManus is another one in, in that situation as well. And then if they're good enough, the move will always come about. That's the way I see it. And I think Idamo has put himself in a great position now, whereby he was drip-fed minutes for Millwall at the tail end of last season. He's already making an impact at the beginning of the championship season. And if he was to get into that team, score a couple more goals, the interest will generate an Idamo's value, the value of his contract, everything will rise in time. Um, so, yeah, really delighted to see him kind of kick on. Uh, Sinclair Armstrong's another one who's done really well down at QPR. There's a couple of players there who are really developing and there's a pathway that's kind of been shown that if you play in the League of Ireland, build up your games, you will naturally get your move. And when the opportunity comes around, these lads are showing that they're more than capable of taking it. And Conan, let, let me ask you about a player who's a little bit older, but, but still a young man, Aaron Connolly, uh, two goals for Hull off the bench against Blackburn. Um you know, won the game for them. He, he seems to be having a good time there after a tough couple of years. Um, you know, Ireland squad coming up for, for two huge games in September. Would you expect him to be in the round the mix for the, the, the games against France and Holland? I don't know. Um, like, he's still coming off the bench. He obviously came off the bench against Hull um, or against, sorry, against Sheffield Wednesday the previous week. Um, and then, obviously, I, I don't know, like it's, it's three goals, I think, in around 40 minutes of play that he has had this season, which is phenomenal. His, his goal as well on Saturday was was brilliant. Um, expertly taken, great technique um, and great finish. But you're just wondering why he isn't starting. Um, you have Liam Delap up front. Obviously, he can he can play for, for Ireland too. Um, and he's uh, your man Ozan Turfin, scored a hat-trick last week. He's, he plays in the 10 came off for Aaron Connolly last week and then Aaron Connolly actually managed to get that goal um, a, a mix up in the defence um, the two wingers if you wanted to play him out, out there uh, one is Adam, Adama Traore not that, not that one that we'd all know from Wolves but just one that is uh, very skillful, um, a lot of experience around Europe um, and one was signed from Istanbul in Turkey only a couple of uh, months ago so if these type of players that don't have international experience playing ahead of him um, and you're wondering why isn't he starting now you might say that he's just trying to get up to get up to speed to get up get up to fitness um, but at the same time when, you, when you're coming off the bench and you're scoring uh, three goals in, in little under 40 minutes um, you don't want to be seen as an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, and being kept on for those latter parts of games where uh, games are opened up and you have the pace and and technique of Aaron Connolly to come on. Um, so in order, look, if he keeps scoring goals, there's no doubt about it that Stephen Kenny, will, I'm sure, will, will want him in part of his plans because 
again, goals win games. We've talked about it for a lot during this podcast. Um, but I still think he needs to do more to 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 worm his way back into the into the into the national setup. Okay, well, we'll see in the next couple of weeks when Stephen Kenny announces that squad and keep an eye on his progress as well in the championship would would hold. Uh, let's just have a quick chat then about the women's World Cup final, which which took place on Sunday. Uh, Spain won it. Uh, Olga Carmona's first half goal was enough for them to beat England 1-0. Uh, Paul, worthy champion. I mean, you know, it's a funny old tournament because I think if you said two weeks ago that Spain would go and win this, nobody really would have bought that at the time. You know, after they were hammered by Japan, uh, they looked an absolute shambles. But they have won it. And I have to say, uh, I thought they were fantastic yesterday. I thought they were absolutely brilliant uh, and, and fully deserved it. Um, what, what did you make of it? Opponents laughing because I, I picked it out on a, on a show with Conan about three weeks ago. Um, yeah, listen, I, I thought the scoreline really flattered England, if, if I'm being honest. I, I thought Spain were much the better side um, and really showed up on, on the big occasion. And there was just a couple of standout performance from Bonmati to Redondo to Caldante. They, they just seemed to have so much class in the final third that they were able to dominate position, create chances and really hurt England. And to be honest with you, I I thought it could have been two or three. Um, only if it was for if it wasn't for Mary Europe's and some of the saves that she produced. But it it was a great occasion. It was a great tournament in general. And I I thought Spain take out the Japan result were, were probably the best side in the competition. Um, anytime you watch Spain play, it's like a, a master's degree in keeping possession. It doesn't matter which side you're watching. And the the final on Sunday was a perfect example of that. But with England, like. I thought England were very lucky to, to reach the final, if I'm being honest. Um, the penalty shoot against Nigeria, the goals they got against Colombia. I, I thought even throughout the tournament, they never really hit the same sort of standards or levels that we saw in the European Championships. Yes, they're missing players, but I just thought in general, the performance levels were down. Um, and that was once again evident on, on Sunday. Like Kira Walsh for me was very poor, who was somebody who stood out in the European Championships. Lucy Bronze, who's one of their most experienced players, who's played at the top level for a long period of time. I thought she looked out of her death yesterday. Um, the, the first goal was a perfect example. She's just running down a cul-de-sac. And even in, in 1v1 situations, I, I thought her age was starting to show and she looked vulnerable as, as the Spanish got at her. So it, it was a great achievement to get to the final. I still think there's work to be done with that England team to get the likes of Beth Mead and Leah Williamson back in to strengthen them up. But Spain, for me, were absolute worthy winners. And the the championships that they've won at underage level, the players that they've gone through, it's scary what they might do in women's football over the next kind of two, four, six years. Yeah, Conan, I've never seen a team that has such dysfunction off the pitch in terms of the relationship with the manager in, in Yorkville to actually go. Like, I mean, we've seen teams in the, in the men's tournaments come in in disarray, France and Dutch teams over the years, but it seems to untangle in those environments where tournament football is such a pressure uh, environment. Uh, Spain have, have come through that which is remarkable I guess a, a testament to you know to the players the quality of the players that they have yeah and I think Emma Burns mentioned in, in her post match uh, debrief I suppose that the tactics were spot on by uh, by Jorge Vilde and Serena didn't get hers right at all uh, um, over the course of the 90 minutes anyway that's that, that was and I'd completely agree Um. Yes, they may not get on with the manager, and um, we all know why. But it doesn't. The, the games are defined on these big moments, um, and how we, you tactically prepare your team 
for these type of games. And I think he got it tactically spot on um, on the night. Now, obviously, uh, afterwards with uh, Rubiales and and his, I don't know, don't know how to describe it, his, his terrible bit of bit, uh, stuff with Hermoso in the aftermath of the of the celebrations. Yeah, um, so he so he he kissed her, he kissed her in celebration, didn't he? Just for yeah. who, who hadn't seen that. Sorry, yeah, and then she didn't. She mentioned in a com- in a in a piece afterwards that she didn't like it. But look, that's that's not here. Or let's just talk about Spain and and for their for their ability and and what they did. And two players, I think that that shone brightly, brightest among amongst them all. I think was Paralelo. Um, just because she was, she had started every game up until the quarter up until the quarterfinal. Um, and then she was she was dropped and she became kind of like, like a super sub coming off the bench and, and, and scoring really, really important goals in, in the quarterfinal and semi-final. And then also Olga Carmona um as well. She was whipped at halftime against Japan, um, didn't play a minute against the Swiss, and came on at halftime against uh, the, uh, in extra time against the Dutch. Um and she did again scored scored a really important goal in the semi-final and then a, a wonderful goal in the final. Um, and then to hear the heartbreaking story of her, of her father after, um, after the game was, was a really... Yeah, she, really she, hard, only, she, really she only learned... Her, her father had been battling in this. He only heard of the, his passing after the game. Um, yeah, which is... I mean, you can't even imagine how, how devastating that would have been. No, uh, but the actual... But the score, the, the winner in a World Cup final as well. And you can only imagine what it would have been like hearing like scoring that and the adrenaline rush and how or the feeling that, that that she must have had of lifting that for the first time for Spain as well and then obviously a couple of minutes later hearing the news of her father but um a lovely post afterwards from her on on um social media but uh like Paul said I when we were on that show a couple of weeks ago I didn't they had just been beaten by Japan 4-0 and Japan tore them apart and I just could not see them getting through the later rounds of the competition just with all the uncertainty that as i said last last year the 15 players that had gone on strike he brought three back in and left the other ones out in the cold um but i couldn't see them getting far but obviously just talent obviously com- uh, comes out in the end and it was um they were absolutely magnificent yes in in the final yes they destroyed england they should have won by more i completely agree with paul um and full credit to them i think that they they could be a dominant force in years to come. Yeah, it certainly looks like it potentially could go that way. Um, we will have a, a our final World Cup podcast with Megan Campbell. Um, that will be published later on Monday, and and she will be going into that game in in more detail as well. Uh, just to run through the SSE Electricity Women's Premier Division results that returned at the weekend after a mid-season break due to the Women's World Cup. League leaders P Mount United left the late before claiming a one 0 win over Bowles. Uh, the balls keeper Rachel Kelly had a great game there. She kept them at bay until the 85th minute, but Derva Burns settled it with a, with a very good strike to give them a 1 0 win. Uh, Shells were second, uh, still six points behind P Mount. They bet 3 to United 3 1. Shamrock Rovers are a further three points back uh, with a game in hand. They were actually idle at the weekend. Cork City were beaten 3 0 by Galway. Uh, Wexford Youth were 4 1 winners at Haunts of Deal or Waves. And Athol Town had a 2 0 win over Sligo Rovers so look, we will leave it there uh, lads thanks a million for, for hopping on and joining us today um, as I said we will have a World Cup podcast coming up later today with Megan Campbell um, and we'll be back next week to have a look and a chat about all the coming weekends League of Ireland action chat to you then thanks